Good afternoon and welcome to Frankly Speaking About Cancer with the Cancer Support Community. Your host is Kim Tibaldo, President and CEO of the Cancer Support Community. This hour is designed to inspire, inform, and to help you live better with cancer. Now, here's your host, Kim Tibaldo. Welcome to Frankly Speaking About Cancer, an internet radio show that focuses on informing and inspiring people to live well with cancer. I'm your host, Kim Tibaldo, CEO of the Cancer Support Community. For more than 35 years, we at the Cancer Support Community have been a relentless ally for anyone impacted by cancer. We help individuals manage the realities of this disruptive disease and get back to normal. Whether accessing our free services in person at one of our 175 locations online or over our toll-free helpline, which we'll share with you later in the show, you are getting uh, a team of licensed professionals providing patient navigation, financial counseling, genetic counseling, pediatric support, and more. Well, last year, um, uh, we talked to you about an important health topic that's critically important to patients, and it's called utilization management. And uh, I know that's kind of a fancy policy, wonky term, but it can really impact the recommendations made by your healthcare team and what your insurance will pay for. So chances are that before that episode, you may have never heard of the term unless you're, you know, sort of in the, in, in the industry, insider baseball, but you may have heard of things like prior authorization, maybe fail first, step therapy, things like that. Well, I'm proud to say that the cancer support community has continued this year in taking a leadership role in making sure that the patient remains at the center of all treatment decisions while understanding and respecting efforts of the healthcare industry to address the very real and rapidly increasing cost of care. And we know this is an issue uh, for all of us. This November, we're once again convening patients, advocates, clinicians, insurance payers, purchasers, pharmacy, benefit managers, uh, industry leaders for an open and honest discussion about the real-world implications of utilization management in the lives of both patients and healthcare providers. The summit is being led by my friend and colleague, Elizabeth Franklin, who I'm thrilled to say is here with us today to break some of this wonky stuff down for us. Um, utilization management, you may hear us call it UM for short, can impact all patients regardless of their medical condition. But for today's conversation, we're going to focus on how it might impact people diagnosed with cancer. Elizabeth will once again help us understand what utilization management is, what are some of its common practices and techniques, and how it's been impacted by the COVID-19 pandemic, which is on all of our minds. We'll also look at the upcoming, uh, what's referred to as open enrollment period, and Elizabeth will explain to us what that is and what it might mean for you, and also really the items that you you guys as patients and consumers should look for when searching for a plan that's best for you. But before we start, I want to tell you a little bit about the amazing Elizabeth Franklin. She serves as the Executive Director of the Cancer Support Community's Cancer Policy Institute. She was formerly Director of Policy and Engagement at the George Washington University Cancer Institute. Previously, she was Senior Director of Policy and Advocacy with the Prevent Cancer Foundation, as well as Special Assistant to the Chief Executive Officer at the headquarters of the National Association of social work. Elizabeth recently received her doctorate from the University of Maryland School of Social Work, where she focused her dissertation on the ways in which patients define value in the cancer care system and how those definitions can be incorporated into public policy and clinical practice. Welcome to the show. I'm going to say Dr. Franklin with your new PhD, but after that, I'm going to call you Elizabeth. (laughs) Welcome, Elizabeth. 
Thank you, Kim. And my mother will be very impressed with that introduction. I appreciate it. (laughs) Outstanding. We'll make sure she listens to the show for sure. Um, Elizabeth, I want to, you know, really dive in and take a closer look um, at this term utilization management and really what it means for patients and families. But before we do that, let's get to some basic definitions. What is utilization management? Uh, Thanks, Kim. And thanks again for having me. Um, You know, I think you hit one of the most important parts of this um, nail on the head as soon as you introduce this concept. You know, who the heck knows what utilization management is? It's such a wonky term. And, you know, sometimes I think these terms are created for a reason so that patients don't necessarily understand and don't necessarily take action. But if there's one thing that I want listeners to understand today is that, you know, just because the word is is a bit foreign or, or is not something that we use in common everyday language, it's something that is is fairly simple to understand. And our organization is here to help people understand it. So I want to set that stage and make sure that we touch on all of the different ways that patients can um, seek to learn more about this concept and seek to figure out how they can uh, work within their own life to overcome Good. some of the barriers that we're going to talk about. So, so I'll Good. start with yeah. um, the fact, and you brought this up, Kim, that we all know, if you don't know that healthcare is expensive today, you haven't been living in the United States, right? We know that it's proving unsustainable and a number that I don't think it means so much to people because it's it's hard to understand. But in 2016, the United States spent $3.35 trillion, and that's 18% of gross domestic product or 18% of our economy, basically, on healthcare. So when you say true, I want to clarify trillion. You're talking with a T trillion. We're talking T with a trillion, not million, not billion, trillion. So, you know, I think okay. it's hard to even wrap your mind around what that really even looks like. So, so yeah, yeah trillion. Um, so, and it's growing, right? We know that the um, healthcare system is going to continue to receive more and more patients because of the baby boom. So folks who are aging, we know that aging is the number one um, correlated factor with cancer, right? The, the older you get, the more likely you are to, to get cancer. And that's not to scare anyone, but it's, it's actually a good thing because more and more people are surviving cancer. They're living longer. So while the length of life is growing for people, it's also can be challenging for the healthcare system. So enter utilization management. And really, it means exactly, if you break down that word, what it says. It's literally how insurance companies and other stakeholders manage how patients utilize the healthcare system, right? So, you know, I think the easiest way to sort of paint the picture is if um, tomorrow morning I want to go to the doctor and I, I want X, Y, or Z done. Let's say I think I need an X-ray. Well, you know, I can't just walk through the door and request that. It needs to be medically appropriate. It needs to be based in evidence. So um, it's it's really helping patients to navigate the system, but sometimes it can create barriers as well, which I know we're going to talk about. And I also want to put a fine point on the fact that the healthcare system is is unsustainable in terms of the amount of money we're spending on it, but in oncology, costs are skyrocketing. So they're rising more quickly than costs of healthcare in other medical sectors. Um, there was a an estimate that between 2010 and 2020, which we're we're in right now, cancer costs are expected were expected to increase over a quarter, and we know they're growing from there. And from the CSC perspective, you know, I am certainly concerned about societal costs, but even more so, I'm concerned about the costs that patients are paying. 
So rising out of pocket costs and the things that, that patients are dealing with. So, you know, it, it is not surprising that utilization management exists, but we are here to help patients navigate it and to make sure that wherever utilization management exists, that it's as patient centered as possible. Okay, so let me just sum it up quickly, make sure I'm under, understanding it correctly. So, number one, so so healthcare spending through the roof. We know that yep. utilization management is a, is an attempt to rein in some mm-hmm. of that spending. So maybe not such a bad thing for society overall because it's becoming maybe unsustainable. But the bad part gets to be where maybe a patient can't get what they need, can't get what the doctor's prescribing because we have these management policies um, in place and it may really limit patient access. Yes, correct summary? That is a wonderful summary. Thanks, Kim. Okay. All right. Terrific. Terrific. So, um, so it's a, you gave us a great um, uh, recap, Elizabeth, o- overarching. Now let's get, let's drill down a little bit. Um, some of the ways that utilization management is used um, specifically in cancer. Break down some of those terms for us, and really, again, what does that mean for the patient? Sure. You know, I'll I'll introduce a couple that. I think that almost all of your listeners have probably dealt with, even if they're not aware that they've dealt with. But one of the most commonly used utilization management tool is something called prior authorization or pre-authorization. And I guarantee if your listeners have had um, surgery, they have certainly gone through this process. But it's also the case for, for different procedures, different services. And it's basically when your healthcare provider needs to get prior authorization to treat you in some specific way. And so they need to, to get approval from the insurance company. So again, in a perfect world, you know, this is is not necessarily a bad thing. I know that when I had surgery, I wanted that stamp of prior approval because I wanted to know that my surgery would be covered and that I wouldn't wake up and have a $100,000 bill, right? So so in a perfect world, it's really helping to streamline the process. But the challenge comes in when, you know, it, when it delays care, when there's really no need for prior authorization, when it's a simple medication or procedure, um, and it really kind of clogs up the gears of the healthcare system. And I'll say, you know, I'm providing the patient voice and the patient advocate voice, but we also hear from providers. Um, I'm a social worker by training. I've worked with and supervised um, patient navigators and social workers, and it really becomes over overwhelming from a paperwork standpoint. You know, you think about a master's prepared professional who's sitting there wanting to provide, let's say, psychosocial services or mental health services to a patient. That's what they're hired to do, but they're spending their time on pre-authorization. And that's really not a great way for our for our healthcare system to run. So I kind of want to point out both sides of the coin here that some of these utilization management tools can be difficult for both patients and also their providers. Um, Another Mm -hmm. example of utilization management is step therapy. Um, We call this fail first, try and fail. But basically, it's when a physician prescribes a medicine, a therapy, or a service, and the insurance company comes back and says, "We're, we're going to have the patient step through a lower cost, let's say, drug. So for cancer patients, the physician prescribes cancer drug A, And the insurance company comes back and says, well, you can't have cancer drug A until you try cancer drug C. And when you, um, you know, we use the word fail and it's not a, it's not a great word, but when that drug doesn't work for the patient, then they Mm -hmm. go up the next step. 
and they reach the next most, uh, the next most expensive or cheaper, however you want to look at it, medication. And if mm-hmm. that doesn't work, then they get to the originally prescribed medication. So, you know, for some, um, for some diseases that might be okay for cancer, it's really tough because physicians are prescribing medication specifically for the unique needs of that patient. And so stepping mm-hmm. through can cause, um, you know, worsening cancer, can lower life expectancy. It's really problematic within the oncology world. So, Elizabeth, we just got about a quick minute until our uh, until our first break here. But just uh, so, 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 let me ask you about that. So, you're saying that the doctor may prescribe a particular medication to you, but the insurance company is saying, nope you got to try this one first. And then if that one fails, if that one doesn't work for you, then we can go on to the one that the doctor's prescribed. Is that correct? That is correct. Okay. So uh, maybe a little bit shocking um, for folks to hear that. So it's like you said, it's called step therapy. Fail first. Sometimes it's called try and fail. Um, but uh, we, can, we can probably shed a little bit more light on that on the other side of the break and also talk a little bit about something called clinical pathways, which I think is also important for our patients to know about and and ask about and understand. Uh, This is Frankly Speaking about cancer. We're talking today with Elizabeth Franklin about uh, what we refer to as utilization management. Really important for cancer patients to understand what this means, and and they may confront some of these challenges, and we want you to be educated and be in a position to ask uh, some good questions. This is Frankly Speaking about cancer. I'm Kim Tebaldo. We're going to take a quick break. Don't go away. We'll be right back. The future of online TV is here. View exclusive content from your favorite talk radio hosts and new programs that you can't see anywhere else. Visit voiceamerica.tv today. Cancer. It's a lonely word. Terms I don't understand. Choices I never thought I'd have to make. But there is hope and help. Support from cancer survivors. Links to research and clinical trials. Help with finances and access to care. All behind you a breakaway from cancer. Created by Amgen to empower cancer patients. The cancer support community is proud to be a partner of Breakaway from Cancer. Hi, I'm Nick Nicolaitis, President and CEO of Morphotech, and we're delighted to be a sponsor of Cancer Support Community's Frankly Speaking About Cancer series. Morphotech and its parent company, Azi, are committed to human health care, and we recognize that patients and their families are the most important participants in the health care process. We salute our global advocacy partners who are devoted to improving the lives of people touched by cancer every day. Effective cancer treatment requires more than just medication or surgery. For the country's 12 million cancer survivors and their loved ones, the social and emotional challenges of adapting to life with cancer are ongoing. How to handle co-workers' questions, how to get comfortable with new physical realities, how to reassure worried family members, or explain to friends your priorities have changed. The Cancer Support Community is ready to help by providing free counseling, education, and hope for survivors and their caregivers. Whether online or at over 100 locations around the world, the Cancer Support Community is ready to offer the support you need to live a better life with cancer. For more information on support groups, publications, nutrition, exercise programs, and more, call 1-888-793-9355 or visit us online at www.cancersupportcommunity.org. That's cancersupportcommunity.org. The Cancer Support Community, a global network of education and hope. 
Become our friend on Facebook. Post your thoughts about our shows and network on our timeline. Visit Facebook.com forward slash Voice America. You're listening to Frankly Speaking About Cancer with the Cancer Support Community, an inspirational program offering the resources you need to live a better life with cancer. Now here's your host, Kim Tibaldo, President and CEO of the Cancer Support Community. Welcome back to Frankly Speaking About Cancer. Our episode today is brought to you in part by Amgen. Before the break, we were really uh, digging in with Elizabeth Franklin on uh, the topic of utilization management, understanding what that means in your cancer care, what questions you need to be asking, and understanding some of the barriers that may be in place to you getting, uh, to you getting the care that you need. So really having an open dialogue with your uh, doctor, with the entire healthcare team. I know, Elizabeth, a lot of these uh, uh, centers have, have navigators and financial folks, and we can talk about that a little bit as well. If you're running up against some of these barriers, we can talk about uh, some ways to get some assistance or get some of your questions answered. But uh, we ended uh, the, our last segment, Elizabeth, talking about step therapy. Let's just do a quick recap on step therapy. And then um, I'd like for you to talk a little bit, if you don't mind, about clinical pathways and what those mean for um, patients and how they should understand them. Sure. Thanks, Kim. Um, yeah, as we discussed with step therapy, it's really when a physician prescribes a, a treatment, a medication, a, a, a process in which the patient needs to go through, and the insurance company comes back and says, you need to start with the lower cost alternative first. And as I said before we we took a break, you know, in some diseases, that's fine. Let's take, for instance, I, um, I'm on a thyroid medicine, and I take the generic, and it's fine. It does its thing. But that's not a um, life or death disease like oncology, at least not in the, the current form that I have. So, you know, I think that cancer patients really need to be aware. One of the things that's most important when it comes to any of these utilization management techniques that we're talking about is ask your doctor. If your doctor comes back and says, you know, I can't put you on this therapy, ask why. Ask them if there's if you can call the insurance company and file for an appeal. Um, one of the things that we um, will probably get to at some point, but that I think is critically important, is the concept of appeals. You can appeal mm-hmm. in many different ways with your insurance company, and the vast majority of appeals, and I'm, I'm saying this as a very blanket statement, um, folks should contact their individual insurance company, but many, many appeals are actually approved. And so it's really just taking that extra step. And we have some resources on our website that I would encourage folks to to look at. So we can talk about that a little bit more. um, But I do want to touch on the concept of clinical pathways. Yeah. So so clinical pathways are standardized treatment protocols. So the way in which when your doctor thinks about how they're going to treat you with a very specific type of cancer. So let's say you have triple negative breast cancer. You um, they've looked at your medical profile and they've decided based on this pathway what kind of treatment they're going to put you on. These pathways are based on something called guidelines. So in our world, that's typically through um, an organization called NCCN, the National Comprehensive Cancer Network. And they're reviewing the evidence and they're looking at what will help you the most to um, tackle your cancer. And so those guidelines are transformed into pathways and those pathways tell physicians what kind of medications, dosing, um, different schedules to put you on. So that's great. That actually gives people the same sort of level set of care. The challenge for pathways comes in when they aren't transparent 
And when patients don't understand why the physician is putting them on a specific pathway. And one really good example of that, Kim, is the fact that sometimes physicians are even incentivized to put patients on a specific pathway. So let's say for um, every specific type of cancer patient that walks through the door, they receive a certain amount of money for putting a patient on a specific pathway. You know, if I were a patient, I don't want my physician making decisions based on that financial incentive. I want my physician making decisions based on what's best for me. So again, I'll go back to kind of what can patients do? Ask why your physician is treating you with this specific um, protocol or medication that they are. Um, ask them if you're on a pathway, where that pathway came from. Um, you know, really just sort of pick apart why the physician is making the decisions that they're making. And if you have an opportunity to um, have a discussion about, you know, how you would like to be treated. We think that um, patients should always engage in shared decision making with their provider. And this is one really important example of why that is a critical component to, to any oncology um, treatment relationship. But we should go in with the understanding, Elizabeth, that um, in general, these pathways are based on good science, lots of rigor and medical review, correct? Yes. So the pathways themselves are based on good science, but different um, insurance companies use different pathways and they're mm -hmm. not all the same, right? And so if you're a physician right. and you're treating two different, uh, let's say you're treating two different patients with the same type of cancer. They're very medically similar. Um, because of their mm -hmm. insurance company, they may be on different pathways. And that's problematic, mm -hmm. right? You want patients mm -hmm. to be receiving the best possible medicine. So in theory, pathways are based on the best possible evidence out there, but we just want to make sure that they're transparent and that patients are getting unique and personalized care based on their specific cancer. And I think that personalized care is really a critical piece of it. So, you know, so Doc, why are you, uh, you know, why are you recommending this particular treatment? Is it a guideline? Am I being treated on a pathway? Are there other options that we should be discussing or that I should be aware of? Those kinds of questions, Elizabeth, that they should be asking? Absolutely. You know, why did you make this decision? Can you walk me through this? Were there any alternatives? Um, you know, mm -hmm. and I also think one of the pieces that's incredibly important when we talk about utilization management is really thinking about what the patient values. And for the patient saying, do you know that, do you know what's most important to me, right? So is it for me as a, a relatively young person in sort of the prime of their career, I want to work. I don't want to be out of work for mm -hmm. an extended period of time. If it's um, someone who's waiting for a grandchild to be born or, or whatever it is, whatever's most important to you, you can say to your physician, um, you know, look, I want to make sure that my treatment as much as possible is lining up with what I value in my life. And so making sure that whatever that is, that the treatment's the best one for you as an individual and that it's not, you know, it's not just sort of cookie cutter medicine because we're, we're also moving away from that in oncology. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Um, Elizabeth, I just want you to give me a quick answer to the next question before we pivot to um, COVID, because I do want to get to COVID. I also just want to mention to our listeners that our show is brought uh, to us in part today by Bristol-Myers Squibb and Lilly Oncology. But um, Elizabeth, why, why have you decided to make this a big policy focus at Cancer Support Community Utilization Management? And look, we're all turning the news on every day. We're seeing headlines. When it comes to healthcare headlines, we're not seeing headlines about utilization management. So why have you decided to make this um, a focus? Yeah, it, it may not be the sexiest term in the healthcare world, so so that's understandable. <laughs> um, it's a lot easier to understand, you know, general healthcare 
coverage concepts, but that's really what makes utilization um, management sort of difficult maybe to understand and difficult to take action on, but it's so critically important. So, you know, once someone gets health coverage, which is a vital first step towards towards handling um, cancer or taking good care of oneself, um, then these are the type of issues that come into play. And they're, they're difficult, right? They're, they're nuanced. Um, but we think that patients should really understand this because it can be the difference, um, you know, between getting the type of therapy that would be best for you and jumping through many different hurdles. And, you know, I think one thing to remember for patients is, uh, the squeaky wheel gets the grease, right? Um, gets the oil in this mm. case. So patients should ask questions. They should, um, you know, really try to understand these things because this can have a significant impact on your journey through the healthcare system. And it's true for cancer as much as it's true for if you go in for migraine treatment. I was just talking to a woman um, who's actually going to speak at our utilization management summit who um, has Epstein-Barr. And she found the hurdles that she had to jump through to access her treatment for that incredibly challenging. So it's really mm-hmm. a part of being an informed consumer. And we at the cancer Good. support community want to provide patients with the tools to navigate these issues. So we think it's incredibly Good. important. Great. And I know we have some tools that are going to be coming out for patients very soon. But Elizabeth, we've got about three minutes to our next break here. I, I would be remiss if I didn't uh, at least bring up, uh, you know, in our last couple minutes, the topic of COVID. Um, you know, talk about the impact of COVID. Uh, it's certainly having a huge impact on the nation, on our health, and on the economy. But what actions have we seen from insurers, from governments? Um, how are we seeing utilization management uh, put into effect uh, around COVID? Yeah, it's a great question and one that, uh, you know, obviously we should we should attend to when talking about this. So I will start by saying that all insurance companies are different and patients should check their individual insurance plan, call your insurance company, um, really understand, you know, you don't necessarily need to, to pull out your insurance paperwork. I would actually, um, even though that's a great thing to do, but I would call the insurance company and talk to them about this. So I'm going to make some broad statements, but keep in mind that, um, that it really is specific to your health insurance plan and even your state. But I'll say that, uh, you know, um, amid this pandemic, um, CSC has advocated to lift certain techniques, like I said, step therapy and prior authorization, because let's be honest, life is hard enough right now. Even if you don't have cancer, um, even if you're not dealing with a serious health concern, we're stuck at home. Um, some of us are having to go into work and, and really sort of risk our health and well-being to take care of others. Um, it's tough. You know, I remember being scared to death to go get groceries. It's a really tough time. And add on top of that, having a serious or chronic illness, and then add on top of that, utilization management. Why are we doing this right now, right? We've seen that uh, patients have missed many um, cancer, or I should say healthcare uh, patients, just individuals, have missed cancer screenings because they're scared to go to the doctor. So let's not put another layer of concern um, and barriers in between patients and what they need to access services. So we know that um, California, for example, required all health insurers in the state to streamline or eliminate step therapy processes. Um, some insurance providers have streamlined or suspended prior authorization requirements. Um, really to both reduce the patient burden, but also the provider burden, because we know that providers are, are really shifting to try to take care of patients in the best possible way right now. So those are just a few examples of how, um, of how 
the you know different states, federal government are addressing this. But again, super important to check with your individual insurance company. We're also happy to help at the Cancer Support Community. Our helpline is an incredible resource where they help walk people and navigate people through some of these challenges. Mm-hmm. So I would highly encourage people mm-hmm. to, to check in with our helpline if they have specific questions mm-hmm. about their insurance. Great. And I'm going to throw that number out. I'll say it again at the end of the show. But if you have a pen, 888-793-9355, give us a shout. And uh, we're certainly happy to help you through some of these issues. Um, This is Frankly Speaking About Cancer. My guest is Elizabeth Franklin. We're talking about utilization management, really breaking it down so that we can get a clear understanding of what it means and what the implications are for cancer patients. We're going to take a quick break, but we have a lot more to discuss with Elizabeth. So don't go away. We'll be right back. Become our friend on Facebook. Post your thoughts about our shows and network on our timeline. Visit Facebook.com forward slash Voice America. People living with breast cancer often find it difficult to ask for help, and many of the people in their lives want to help but don't know how. During National Breast Cancer Awareness Month, Cancer Support Community is proud to support Meal Trains sponsored by Magnolia, which utilizes Mealtrain.com, a free shared online calendar to streamline the process of giving and receiving meals for families coping with breast cancer. Help us reach our goal of 1,000 new breast cancer-specific meal trains this October. To learn more, visit Mealtrain.com MMT and enter the code MagnoliaB or visit us at cancersupportcommunity.org. Effective cancer treatment requires more than just medication or surgery. For the country's 12 million cancer survivors and their loved ones, the social and emotional challenges of adapting to life with cancer are ongoing. How to handle coworkers' questions, how to get comfortable with new physical realities, how to reassure worried family members, or explain to friends your priorities have changed. The Cancer Support Community is ready to help by providing free counseling, education, and hope for survivors and their caregivers. Whether online or at over 100 locations around the world, the Cancer Support Community is ready to offer the support you need to live a better life with cancer. For more information on support groups, publications, nutrition, exercise programs, and more, call 1-888-793-9355 or visit us online at www.cancersupportcommunity.org. That's cancersupportcommunity.org. The Cancer Support Community, a global network of education and hope. The future of online TV is here. View exclusive content from your favorite talk radio hosts and new programs that you can't see anywhere else. Visit voiceamerica.tv today. You're listening to Frankly Speaking About Cancer with the Cancer Support Community, an inspirational program offering the resources you need to live a better life with cancer. Now here's your host, Kim Tibaldo, President and CEO of the Cancer Support Community. Welcome back to Frankly Speaking About Cancer, our episode today 
is brought to you in part by Merck and Pfizer. I'm your host, Kim Thibodeau. I'm happy to be with you to talk about a subject that I think is increasingly central to how cancer care is being delivered. It's called utilization management. It's a system meant to help contain the runaway increasing rate of healthcare costs in the U.S., including uh, cancer care, but can also put up some barriers for patients. And we want to talk about some of those and give you some tools and tips to um, get over some of those uh, hurdles that you may experience. We're with the true expert on the subject, Elizabeth Franklin, who's the head of the Cancer Support Communities Cancer Policy Institute. Another, uh, just a word or two about Elizabeth. She's a member of a number of organizations and coalitions, including the National Association of Social Workers, where she served as president of the D.C. chapter, Association of Oncology Social Work, where she serves on the Advocacy Committee, the Academy of Oncology Nurse and Patient Navigators, where she serves on the Leadership Council and Chair of the Policy and Advocacy Committee and the Alliance for Quality Psychosocial Care, where she serves um, as a co-chair of that particular alliance. She's a recognized uh, author and speaker and much sought after, so we're super happy to have her with us on the show today to help break down some of these concepts for you and for me, too, because this, uh, this is tricky stuff. Um, Elizabeth, I want to pivot to talk about a really important and very timely issue right now that's coming up. It's really upon us, and people maybe are seeing commercials about it, but it's called Open Enrollment for 2021 Healthcare Coverage. Tell us about this important period. Who needs to know about it? What do you need to know? Do people need to take action? Let's break it down. Sure. Thanks, Kim. Um, yeah, so open enrollment is happening uh, starting November 1st. So um, it will. by the time this airs, it will be open, no pun intended, and it will close December 15th. So what is this period? It is um, based on the uh, Affordable Care Act. So when the ACA passed in 2010, that gave consumers the uh, possibility to purchase health care insurance on what we call the federal health insurance marketplace. And that is healthcare.gov. Um, it just means that that's where, where people can go online and choose the healthcare plan that is right for them. And those plans are sold, um, again, from November 1st through December 15th, 2020. You have to get within that window, and it would create plans that activate on January 1st, 2021. So this period is crucial for anyone who does not have access to health insurance. Um, I will say that the one um, thing for people to know that if they have a significant life event, so divorce, marriage, um, they have a child, they lose their job, they can enroll in health insurance at different points throughout the year. But it's incredibly important to know that if today you don't have health insurance or you see that you're not going to, this time period of open enrollment from November 1st through December 15th is really, really important. And, um, you know, I think COVID has shown a light on why it's more important than ever for us all to have health insurance at this period. So talk a little bit more, um, Elizabeth, where folks can find information uh, about this, look at plans, how to look at plans, how to shop. Just give a few more tips for our folks. Sure. Yeah. The best place to go is healthcare.gov, and that's the federal government's website for, um, for ACA plans or for the federal marketplace. And what that will do, if you go to healthcare.gov, it will point you towards either your state marketplace. Many states created their own market or it will help you to sort through the federal plans. And so um, it can be tricky. I don't want people to feel overwhelmed, but it can be tricky. So it's important to know, um, you know, what chronic illnesses you might have, what you might be at risk of, thinking through what you really need personally as you look through those plans, sort through those plans, 
it's also really important to understand the different terminology that's used. So what is a deductible? What is a premium? Um, those are, are some of the things that I think confuse, you know, the vast majority of people. It's really confusing. But if you can educate yourself a little bit to understand what you're going to pay out of pocket, um, what you might, if you're paying a higher premium plan, um, you may have lower costs down the road. So in other words, if your plan costs more per month, but you may have lower out-of-pocket costs um, down the road as you seek healthcare. So these are some of the scenarios that's important to think through. Um, but healthcare.gov is the best place for people to start and, and work through that journey. And I'll also add that I would encourage people to become a grassroots advocate through the cancer support community. We can share um, that that's on our website, but it will help you to understand um, these important mm -hmm. dates. We send out reminders. We post blogs. We are currently creating a glossary of terms for people to understand this. And then, of course, our helpline is another great resource for to help people navigate these things. I'm going to throw out that number again for folks who are listening, and you need to just chat with one of our navigators today. They also work over the weekend, seven days a week, 888-793-9355. And as Elizabeth said, lots of good tools and uh, educational information at cancersupportcommunity.org on our website. Elizabeth, we were talking earlier about headlines. I think one that we all can help but notice um, is the uh, impact of the pandemic of COVID on people's jobs. A lot of people get their health insurance through their jobs. Um, what has been the impact on, uh, of COVID and, and, and the uh, residual effects of the economy? What, what has been the impact on open enrollment? And again, what do folks know if maybe they've, they've, they've cancer, maybe they lost their job, losing their insurance? You know, fill us in on that a little bit. Sure. Yeah. At this point, 12 million people have lost insurance as a result of the pandemic. So um, really, it's hit folks who've had employer insurance the hardest. So let's say that you, uh, you know, you had an office job or you worked in a restaurant and you had employer based coverage and um, you lost your job because so many people have lost their jobs. So that the economic and healthcare ties are so inextricably linked here. It's, it's really important to, to understand how that happens. So again, 12 million people have lost insurance. So I think it'll be really interesting to see how many people enroll this year. Um, but I will also say, and I know we'll get into this, Kim, we're also looking at a Supreme Court case, which could have a very serious impact on the future of the ACA. And so um, all, you know, before we dive into what that really looks like, what I'll say is mm -hmm. as of today, um, the ACA is the law of the land. People should still go to healthcare.gov, compare different health mm -hmm. plan options. Because again, I think that COVID has shown us that you could experience a il an illness at any point in time, whether it is COVID um, and you end up in the hospital on a ventilator and the out-of-pocket costs would be astronomical if you weren't covered by health insurance. Yeah. Or if you're, or if you're yeah. a cancer patient, right? None of us know. Some of us are at higher risk than others, but no one knows when cancer will strike um, their lives or someone in their lives. And so, this has shown us that we all truly need health insurance coverage. And it, to be fair, we need affordable and accessible health insurance coverage. Right. So, Elizabeth. So, say I have lost. Say I have cancer. I've lost my job, um, and I want to start looking for coverage. You know, at that healthcare.gov on the marketplace. Um, 
so I go and I start looking and I see, oh, there's that, there's a, there's that silver plan. That's the cheapest one. I'm going to go with that one. Um, is that the way to go? Are there, what, what questions do I need to ask? Am I, do I have to look at, um, you know, are my doctors in the plan? Is my hospital in the plan? Are my drugs in the plan? Or what are the kinds of things I need to look at, questions I need to ask that, to make sure, A, my current care is going to be covered, and B, that, even, you know, that, that just because I can buy the cheapest plan, there might be other costs down the road that I might uh, confront. Is that correct? That's yes, that's correct, and it's a great question, Kim. So I know that it can be um, it can be alluring to purchase the cheapest plan, especially for folks who might be a little bit younger or who have never experienced a serious health concern. Um, but you're absolutely right. You if you pay a lower premium, you in, you know the general rule of thumb is you're going to pay more out of, of out of pocket. So you'll pay a higher deductible. In other words, what you have to pay out of pocket and, and that amount of money you meet before your insurance kicks in. Um, so it's really important to look at all aspects of the healthcare plan, what you're going to pay out, out of pocket up front, what you're going to pay out of pocket down the line. You brought up a great point, Kim, about if your providers are in network. So in other words, if um, you've been going to see the same primary care physician for the last 10 years because you had employer coverage and all of a sudden you've purchased new coverage. It's important to find out if that primary care physician is important to you or let's say your oncologist, if you're a cancer patient, if that provider is in network and if you'll be able to see them and not pay as much as you would pay for someone out of network. So um, it's really important to work through these things, but as I said, it can be very complicated. And CSC has a tool that can be helpful um, if someone has cancer or they're at risk for cancer. It's called the Cancer Insurance Checklist, and it's online at cancerinsurancechecklist.org. And folks can actually go on there. It's a it's a very handy little worksheet where they can fill out the things that they need. Um, you know, the medications, the providers, the different. Uh, services and and things, medications, again, medications, providers, services that they might utilize, and they can include it on that worksheet and then look at the worksheet while they're picking a healthcare plan to help them think through some of these scenarios. Mm -hmm. Elizabeth, is it also open enrollment now for Medicare, which is for folks who are 65 and older? That's right. Open enrollment for Medicare is also going on right now. So um, for folks who are 65 and older who are interested in learning more about Medicare, the government health insurance program for um, mostly people who are over the age of 65. Now is the time to do that as well. And um, the cancer support community is here to support you. Again, I'll plug the helpline. I hope that people understand that our navigators are, are really not to sound like an infomercial, but standing by <laughs> to help them navigate yeah, for sure. some of these, these free, choices. Free, free, free. Yeah, exactly. Yep. Um, can you explain in one, uh, and, and an open enrollment for Medicare goes through December 7th. Is that correct? That is correct. Okay, and can you can you we're coming up to a break. Can you in one minute tell people what copay accumulators are? Ooh, I'll I'll do my best. And if if I <laughs> I don't get it across, we've got we can, a great blog. We about can this, pick right? it up on the other side of the break if we don't get it all in. Sure, sure. So um, I think that many patients who take oncology drugs will be familiar with the concept of copay cards. And these are, um, they're also known as coupons. So, you know, you often see commercials for if you can't afford your medicine, the company can be helpful. And these are copay cards that when the, the patient goes to the pharmacy counter, they can actually provide that card to the pharmacist and receive discounts on their, their medications. And so this is great. It helps patients pay, um, cover out-of-pocket costs, and it helps get them onto medications that they need to be on. 
So insurance okay. companies um, believe so Elizabeth, that we're going we're gonna to stop it. We're going to just stop it there for a minute. That's that's the table. We're going to just take a very quick uh, break here, and we're going to pick up on copay accumulators on the other side of the break. This is frankly speaking about cancer. Our show is brought to you in part by Taiho Pharmaceutical today. We're going to be right back to pick up the conversation. Don't go away. The future of online TV is here. View exclusive content from your favorite talk radio hosts and new programs that you can't see anywhere else. Visit voiceamerica.tv today. Effective cancer treatment requires more than just medication or surgery. For the country's 12 million cancer survivors and their loved ones, the social and emotional challenges of adapting to life with cancer are ongoing. How to handle coworkers' questions, how to get comfortable with new physical realities, how to reassure worried family members, or explain to friends your priorities have changed. The Cancer Support Community is ready to help by providing free counseling, education, and hope for survivors and their caregivers. Whether online or at over 100 locations around the world, the Cancer Support Community is ready to offer the support you need to live a better life with cancer. For more information on support groups, publications, nutrition, exercise programs, and more, call 1-888-793-9355 or visit us online at www.cancersupportcommunity.org. That's cancersupportcommunity.org. The Cancer Support Community, a global network of education and hope. Cancer Support Community is proud to be a partner of Magnolia Meals at Home, a new pilot program that aims to help patients by providing nourishing meals to households affected by breast cancer so loved ones can spend more quality time together. This program is currently available in and around two pilot cities, Andover, Massachusetts and Woodcliffe Lake, New Jersey. Participants will receive one delivery of meals every month for up to six months when enrolled in the program. Each delivery includes up to seven meals designed to help meet the nutritional needs of people living with breast cancer and 10 meals for family members. This novel program is brought to you by the Azi Women's Oncology Program, Magnolia, Cancer Care, the Cancer Support Community, and Meals on Wheels Association of America. To find out if you or loved ones are eligible, visit online at www.magnoliamealsathome.com or call 617-733-5848. Become our friend on Facebook. Post your thoughts about our shows and network on our timeline. Visit facebook.com forward slash voice America. You're listening to Frankly Speaking About Cancer with the Cancer Support Community, an inspirational program offering the resources you need to live a better life with cancer. Now here's your host, Kim Tibaldo, President and CEO of the Cancer Support Community. You're listening to Frankly Speaking About Cancer. Today's episode is brought to you in part by Takeda and GlaxoSmithKline. I'm your host, Kim Tibaldo, CEO of the Cancer Support Community, and it's really been a pleasure spending time with you. We've uh, been uh, having a great conversation with Elizabeth Franklin about uh, utilization management. I'm so grateful to have someone with such uh, deep knowledge uh, of the subject. It's a pretty complicated subject, so I'm glad to have Elizabeth here to break it down for us. Uh, before the break, Elizabeth, we started to talk about copay accumulators. Just take a minute to recap that for us so folks can understand what that means and what they need to know. 
Sure, happy to do that. So um, as I was as I was discussing before the break, copay cards help patients pay for their medications out of pocket. Um, you go to the pharmacy counter, you provide the copay card or copay coupon, and it helps to offset the cost of some of those medications. So the concern here is that insurance companies believe that uh, this is driving patients toward branded medications. So some of the more innovative, high cost medications. And, you know, in cancer, I, I truly believe that physicians are putting patients on the medication that is most appropriate for them. So it gets it gets a little tricky in cancer. But the um, the copay accumulator program and, and I encourage uh, listeners to stick with me because this one gets really tricky. But um, yeah. so. Patients, when they go to the pharmacy counter, they provide the copay card. It offsets the amount of money that they have to pay. That amount of money goes that the copay card is worth. Let's say, and I'm just throwing a number out there. Let's say the drug is $1,000. That $1,000 that's covered by that copay guard card is going towards the patient's out-of-pocket maximum and deductible. So it's helping them pay down their overall healthcare costs over the year. Because once you reach that maximum out-of-pocket and deductible, you no longer have to pay anything out-of-pocket. So what copay accumulator programs have done is stop allowing the amount of those copay cards to go towards the deductible. So they're still, um, patients can still use them at the pharmacy counter. They're still worth an amount of money that it goes towards paying for the drug. But let's say in May, I'm just picking a time, the amount of money that that card is worth runs out, the patient goes to the pharmacy counter, and the the pharmacist says, great, here's your medication, this month it's going to be $1,000. Versus Mm -hmm. last year, they had already met their deductible, they'd already met their out-of-pocket max. So... Mm -hmm. Very complicated um, issue to uh, to sort of um, talk about in a in a short period of time. But we have a great blog about this. We're advocating yep. for um, for patients to still be able to use their copay cards and for it to go to towards their out of pocket spending um, because it can be a real shock for patients. It's a very yeah. difficult issue to understand, and then they're stuck with a bill that they've never been stuck with before. Yeah, I think those are great points and things folks really do need to be paying attention to that. I think really, really critical. We're getting to the end of the show, Elizabeth. I still have so much more I want to talk about, but you touched uh, briefly on the upcoming case with the Supreme Court that challenges the, the ACA, the Affordable Care Act, otherwise known as Obamacare. Tell us about that challenge. When is that happening? What, um, uh, when might we hear what the decision is on that? And, uh, I guess it's hard to figure out what some of the implications might be, right? Sure, yeah. There's a lot of unanswered questions, but it's important to understand the timeline and what this could mean. So we know that this episode is going to air on Election Day next week, and then about a week later, on November 10th, the Supreme Court of the United States is going to take up the Affordable Care Act. And the question at hand involves um, what we call the individual mandate. And in order for the health insurance system to be um, sort of fiscally or financially um, solvent, for lack of a better term, there need to be both sick people and people who have historically been healthy together because that helps to offset some of the costs. So, you know, if it's only people who who've experienced illness, it's going to be more expensive to cover them. If it's only healthy people, um, you know, it, it really will become unbalanced. So you need sick people, you need healthy people, hence the individual mandate so that everybody needs to have insurance. And when the Affordable Care Act was passed into law, the individual mandate was a piece of that. 
a piece of legislation that was passed a few years ago with a tax bill effectively um, repealed the individual mandate. While it's still a part of the law, it repealed it down to zero. So if you don't have health insurance, there is a mandate, but you don't owe anything. There's no tax penalty. Mm -hmm. So Mm -hmm. the Supreme Court is looking at, because that individual mandate has been zeroed out, and um, not to get into sort of the legal uh, nitty gritty of this, but basically, is the entire law constitutional anymore? Or did it step outside the bounds of constitutionality in order to implement that mandate? So the Supreme Court is looking at, um, does the entire law need to be thrown out? Does the individual mandate, can it be um, what we call severed from the rest of the law in order for it to move forward? So there's really a lot of um, unanswered questions, but the Supreme Court will take it up on November 10th, and then they will make a decision um, as early as March, but probably more likely by June. And that's when uh, the cancer support community will kick into high gear in terms of supporting patients, helping them to advocate, to figure out what's next. Because worst case scenario, the ACA is overturned and patients lose access to coverage. And this is everything from the marketplace coverage Mm -hmm. we discussed, but also um, the expanded Medicaid coverage for people with lower incomes Mm -hmm. across the country, Um, the the protection for pre-existing conditions that cancer patients have enjoyed, kids um, Mm -hmm. 26 and under being able to stay on their parents' plan. So there's a lot of implications. And CSE Mm -hmm. will keep folks updated. Again, sign up to be a grassroots advocate on our website and make sure that you're receiving the most up-to-date information because this is one of the biggest healthcare cases that we'll probably see in our lifetime. Mm, Wow. Um, Elizabeth, take our last minute or two here to just give a quick recap, remind folks of what they need to know about utilization management. What questions do they need to ask? What do they need to be aware of? Yep. There has never been a more important time to ask questions, Um, whether those questions are about COVID, about your specific oncology care, but folks should be engaging in a shared decision-making process with your doctor. And I want to talk about, um, you know, the need to be an advocate at several different levels. So at the micro level, know your health insurance plan, ask questions, call your insurance company, really understand what is available to you in terms of your benefits. At that middle level, um, again, you know, you can file an appeal. You can work with your insurer to to change some of these things. You can um, talk with your employer if you have an employer plan to talk about what benefits you have. And then at the macro level, know your elected officials. Um, we're about to have new elected officials in office from the president to Congress to governors um, on down. Know your elected officials. Get involved um, in understanding some of these issues and fighting to ensure that cancer patients and, frankly, all individuals have an opportunity to access affordable health care. Incredibly important. But the moral of today's story is really get involved. Understand this. It doesn't have to be scary. Um, and we're here to support you. And uh, the Cancer Support Communities Cancer Policy Institute will provide the information that you need to become an advocate and understand how utilization management impacts your own life. Terrific. Elizabeth, thank you so much. It's a great overview. Um, I know it's so much information for folks to take in, so I appreciate you coming and joining us, helping us 
you know, really break it down. Um, I think just a couple things, as Elizabeth said, go to cancersupportcommunity.org. You'll find all of our wonderful resources, but you can also specifically visit our Policy Institute, sign up, join our grassroots network. There's no cost to that or anything involved. Just join us so we can keep you informed on all these changes. Uh, if you need to talk to one of our navigators, call our helpline, 888-793-9355. We have a whole host of free resources for anybody facing cancer, whether you want to you know, talk to somebody on the phone, and we have chat capability, and we have a whole online community. So visit us at cancersupportcommunity.org, 888-793-9355. Uh, thanks for listening uh, to the show today, Frankly Speaking About Cancer. I'm Kim Tebaldo from the Cancer Support Community. It's been a pleasure having you and a pleasure having Elizabeth Franklin as our guest today. This is Frankly Speaking About Cancer. Until next time, be well, do well, live well. Thank you for joining us for Frankly Speaking About Cancer with your host, Kim Tibaldo. We're here for you every Tuesday afternoon at 1 p.m. Pacific Time and 4 p.m. Eastern Time on the Voice America Health and Wellness Network. In the meantime, stay connected online at cancersupportcommunity.org. That's cancersupportcommunity.org.